And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. We're in something like five weeks. It'll be 25 years of doing this show. It's pretty amazing because I'm only 32. Uh, welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, I wish. Uh, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips, lots of snark and retweets. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on. And, of course, uh, Pinterest. Why? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what else? Instagram. What else? YouTube. Is that enough? I think so. No Snapchat. Mm-mm, not going there. Uh, no, 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 no. There is no MySpace, nor is there AOL or uh, anything else that existed back in the 1990s. No bulletin boards. Uh, on today's program, we are going, it, it's sort of a, I won't say a mishmash, but it is a potpourri of fall garden conversation. We're going to find out about mosquito control this time of year. There is a, a great website. If you're if you're searching for fall plants, especially unthirsty plants, especially unthirsty California native plants, there's a great website out there called Calscape that was developed by a volunteer with the California Native Plant Society that uh, really is a nice comprehensive site for finding the exact California native plants that will do well in your area. You enter in your zip code, and voila, hundreds of plants will pop up with complete descriptions. And it's really a a very nice site for helping you decide which plants to put in. And as we like to say here, fall is for planting, so we're going to be talking more about that. Containerizing grapes. Yeah, you can grow grapes in a barrel. They're doing it out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We'll find out how they're doing it. And we will continue our conversation with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out what's in bloom now, what plants are putting on a a summer-to-fall show, because uh, we are officially in fall now. It happened sometime yesterday afternoon, or rather Friday afternoon. And so I guess uh, yesterday was the first full day of fall, and today's weather is fall-like as well. Temperature in Sacramento expected to reach about 83 degrees, not too shabby. And the overnight low, 57, and 88 on Monday. And then the tug-of-war between summer and uh, fall continues, and summer tries to make a repeat appearance Tuesday through Saturday with temperatures in the low 90s and uh, overnight lows in the low 60s. The good news is it's not going to get real hot, and it's not going to be hot for long because the days are much shorter. Uh, If you're up at sunrise this morning, that means you're up at 6.55 a.m., Sunset tonight, 6.59 p.m., which means you walk the dogs earlier before or carry a flashlight. That's just the way it is this time of year. So the days are getting shorter. Soil temperatures are still nice. This is uh, the great part and why we try to encourage fall planting is because it's easier for the plants to get over that stressful period of being transplanted or installed newly into the ground because soil temperatures right now are in the low 70s, which is perfect for getting roots established with the days shorter and the usually milder temperatures. Very good for getting plants established. Now, what a lot of people forget about when it comes to putting in either drought-tolerant plants or plants that are low water use is they still need water in order to get established, and that may mean regular watering 
for about a year or so. And then you can wean them off the water. But basically, if you were to put in a low-water-use plant now in an area where you have other low-water-use plants, because remember the concept of hydrozoning, grouping your plants according to their water needs, you would want that plant to be getting regular water until the rains start in earnest. Now, last year, the rain started in earnest in early October. Will they this year? Well, I, I can only go out as far as next Saturday, and the answer is no. It's sunny. Now, I don't think I would do any major planting today if you are in the North Sacramento Valley or the Central Sacramento Valley or along the west side of the valley because it's going to be windy. Northerly winds kicking up to 20 miles an hour on the west side of the valley as well as the central and north Sacramento Valley from Marysville on north. Now, here in the Sacramento area, north winds are expected to get up to around maybe 9 or 10 miles an hour today. Further north, 20 to 25 miles an hour. The same is true for further west. Because of that, there is a red flag warning posted. Red flag warning basically means fire danger has increased because of these hot, dry northerly winds and they're offshore winds too uh, it'll be over the northern and western sacramento valley and adjacent foothills they're going to redevelop this afternoon and expand southeastward late today across portions of the sierra nevada through early tuesday morning the combination of offshore winds and dry air mass are expected to bring critical fire weather conditions and i i think we we know what that means it means that uh strong winds Low relative humidity, warm temperatures can contribute to extreme fire behavior. So don't play with fire today, all right? And by playing with fire, I mean taking your mower or weed whacker out into that field of three-foot or four-foot or five-foot tall dry weeds and doing much chopping now that it's after 10 a.m. You should have been doing it at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. And your neighbors love that when you go out there with your power equipment at 7 a.m. on Sundays, don't they? Yeah. Well, if you live out in the country, you just do it. But as the day goes on, it's going to get windier. It's going to get drier. The humidity level is going to go down. So this would not be the time because that fire could spread quite, quite easily. If your blade hits a rock, if, you're, if you stop for a few minutes and you get off your riding lawnmower, you set your weed whacker down in a field of dry weeds, uh, or you drive onto an area, don't do that. All right, because a fire could start. And don't do something idiotic. This is one of my favorite stories that was told to me by a volunteer fireman out at the uh, Herald Fire Station. Herald, of course, in southeastern Sacramento County. Rural area. Some guy who lived in Galt was having a backyard barbecue. Charcoal barbecue. All right. So he had his barbecue going. His neighbor said, hey, we're all going to Rancho Seco Park. And he says, great, I'll join you. I'll bring the barbecue. He stuck his barbecue in the back of the pickup truck. And then he thought, well, wait a minute, that maybe I better put the top on the barbecue so it doesn't blow out sparks. Well, good idea, except he didn't secure the top. And so he's driving down Twin Cities Road, and the top to the barbecue blows off. He doesn't notice it. As a result, embers and pieces of charcoal that are on fire are scattered along Twin Cities Road. And they're starting little brush fires all along Twin Cities Road, leading to Rancho Seco Park. 
And it didn't take long for the volunteer fire department to notice there's a trend here. We've been answering fires. It's proceeding eastward up Twin Cities Road. And they just, they just followed the little flames to where this guy was driving with his pickup truck with hot charcoals falling out of the back. And they convinced him to stop. All right. So anyway, don't do something stupid like that. Thank you. All right. Very important. So anyway, because of that red flag warning, uh, this is the time of the year when bad things can happen in not only dry brush, but also in fuel-filled hillsides, if you will. And there's more fuel on hillsides now throughout California because of five years of drought and dead or dying trees. And we've seen these conflagrations that have happened all summer that just get out of control in no time flat because of all that dead wood that's out there. And it's just like fireworks going off, and it creates its own wind patterns as well. So be very, very careful over the next few days with these gusty northerly winds. Remember the Oakland Hills fire of maybe, what, 20 years ago or so? It happened on a Sunday on a day like today. And be careful. Most of these fires are human-caused. All right. Um, Let's see. What else are we going to do today? We'll have a garden grappler. There's a clue available at FarmerFred.com. I did not put put a clue up on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, though. But uh, there is one posted at um, FarmerFred.com where it says a clue for the garden grappler. We'll be doing that about 11 o'clock or so. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we're talking mosquito control with the local vector district. And if you have a mosquito issue in your yard, your tax dollars can help you end it at no cost to you. Find out how. Keep listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Taking a look at the headlines around the state. Family of West Covina woman killed by West Nile virus speaks out. Multiple cases of West Nile virus in Glendale prompt education campaign. La Quinta resident tests positive for West Nile virus. Bird tests positive for West Nile virus in Contra Costa County and in Ventura. And a little closer to home, the Sacramento Bee reported recently two cases of West Nile virus have hospitalized two people in Yolo County. West Nile virus, it's only spread by mosquitoes. And who knows more about that than Luz Robles? She's the public information officer for the Sacramento Yolo Mosquito and Vector Contro- Control District. And Luz, even though uh, it, it's summertime and, well, really it's turning into fall, the, the danger from mosquitoes still exists, doesn't it? Yes, that is correct. First of all, thank you so much for having me and protecting upon this very important topic. And you're right, it is the tail end of summer. Um, we're actually at the almost at the very end of mosquito season, but mosquitoes, we still have to be careful with them. And as you were mentioning recently, we did get two confirmations of two human cases of West Nile virus in Yolo County. Um, and we also do have one more confirmed case in Sacramento County. And of importance to note is that these two cases in Yolo County are actually the neuroinvasive form of the disease. So that just means that this is the most severe form of the disease that you can get. Um, 80% of people that get West Nile virus uh, don't even know that they have it. Your body just kind of gets rid of those symptoms on its own. 20% of people develop a West Nile virus fever, which can include um, headache, fatigue, swollen lymph nodes, maybe a rash around your skin, and then you would get rid of these symptoms again uh, two to three weeks after. 
But unfortunately, these two cases that we're seeing are the neuroinvasive form of the disease, which these are the cases that traditionally or typically can lead to death um, because it involves um, swollen membranes of the brain, um, things like that. So the encephalitis or the meningitis that can accompany it. What sector of the population is most at risk for mm-hmm. that advanced West Nile virus? What sort of physical ailments or mm-hmm. conditions uh, could possibly make them more susceptible? Yes. So the, the people that are at higher risk are the very young or the very elderly or people that have a compromised immune system. So, for instance, if you have diabetes or high blood pressure or any other type of health, health ailment that you already have a weakened immune system, if you are bitten by a mosquito and have West Nile virus, then you would be much more susceptible uh, for the neuroinvasive form of the disease than a healthy individual. And, of course, I imagine you're increasing your risk if you're spending more time outdoors. And with the cooler temperatures recently, we may be spending more time outdoors. Exactly. Yes, we did have a very hot summer. Um, and I think everybody's ready for those cold temperatures. But I can't um, I can't emphasize enough the need for us to continue being vigilant and continue to protect ourselves from mosquito bites. That's the one thing that we can do. So if you are going to be spending time outdoors this weekend in your garden, um, maybe attending an event, we always recommend that you always protect yourself by wearing a good mosquito repellent. So it doesn't matter if you're going to be spending, you know, 15 minutes outside or maybe you're going camping. Preventing mosquito bites is still a priority for us. So we always recommend that people always wear a good mosquito repellent. And of course, this time of year, as we saw last week, there's always the chance of a scattered rainstorm or two that could lead to little puddles of water. And it doesn't take much water for mosquitoes to start breeding, does it? No, that is correct. So we always need to make sure that, like you were saying, in case we were to get some kind of a small rain, that at least once a week we go around our yard and we inspect our our flower pots, our containers, our buckets, a wheelbarrow, maybe a kiddie pool, perhaps your dog dish, anything that can hold water can and will become a mosquito breeding source. So especially because we are going to be having um, a warming trend actually next week, it would be very important that we be vigilant and take personal responsibility to make sure that we're not creating mosquito breeding grounds in our own backyard. Now, I remember during the great mortgage collapse of 10 years ago or so, there were a lot of abandoned homes with abandoned swimming pools, and the area saw a big increase in the mosquito population at that time. And now with fall approaching, a lot of people may have stopped using their swimming pools, and maybe to save money, they they turn off the recirculating equipment, the the filter and all. And what happens then? Is, Is that pool then more susceptible to become a mosquito breeding zone? Yes, indeed. And let me just touch on briefly what you were saying earlier when when the economy collapsed three years ago, we did have a lot of neglected pools which can produce. Each neglected pool can produce about a million mosquitoes over the course of a summer. And those mosquitoes can fly anywhere from one to five miles and literally infect entire neighborhoods. And now that it, it, it is fall and perhaps we're not using our swimming pool as much, you know, we would advise that you continue to take care of it as much as you can perhaps until the end of October or when temperatures really, really drop significantly. By then, you're dramatically reducing the chances that the pool will become a mosquito breeding ground. Um, you would only need to run your pump perhaps a few times a week. Um, but if you plan on not using the pool at all, perhaps, or maybe you lost your job or 
you just don't plan to use the, the pool, then please give us a call. We'd be happy to drop off some mosquito-eating fish. Um, they're very effective at controlling the mosquitoes and they're perfect for a neglected pool. So provide them free of charge if you have a pond or a fountain or reuse them throughout rice fields, pastures, wetlands, dairy stumps, things like that. Exactly. The Sacramento Yolo Mosquito and Vector Control, Control District uh, supplies those services. It's it's your tax dollars at work. What What is the, the current uh, update on uh, 2017 West Nile virus activity in our area? So I first would like to touch on the fact that Despite the very wet winter that we had and the predictions that would be that it would be an intense West Nile season, it actually was not. In terms of the overall abundance of mosquitoes, we were seeing the populations of mosquitoes, but not the infection rates for West Nile virus. So total numbers to date, um, we have 220 mosquito samples in both Sacramento and Yolo County, so that's combined, and 87 dead birds. So these numbers are extremely, or they're a lot lower than they were at this same time last year. Um, it's not unusual for, you know, for this to happen. Typically viruses do tend to be cyclical. One year you can have a very intense West Nile virus year. The following year can be a bit more milder. So this is, this was definitely not, um, as intense of a year as was initially expected. Yeah, for example, back in 2016, what, there were like 442 cases and 19 fatalities in our area. Yes, well, actually, yes, those are human cases that you're mentioning. So to date, as far as statewide numbers, we have 174 confirmed human cases and eight fatalities. So those numbers that you gave were for 2016, and they were statewide numbers, correct? And yes, and this problem is not only throughout the state, but throughout the entire nation. Uh, the risk of West Nile virus is ongoing. And if people want more information about tips for uh, maybe getting in contact with the Vector District or tips they can use around the home to lessen the chances of a mosquito population building up on their property, what's a good website for them to visit? They can always visit us at fightthebite.net. Once again, that's fightthebite.net, or they can always give us a call to the 800-429-1022. Once again, 1-800-429-1022. We are at your service. We provide free home service inspections. We can bring you uh, the free mosquito fish to your home. We also provide free mosquito repellent wipes. If you're holding an outdoor evening event, we also do work with yellow jackets. So please give us a call. We'd be happy to serve you. The website again, fightthebite.net. Luz Robles, public information officer for the Sacramento Yolo Mosquito and Vector Control District. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And a good number, again, to call for that help to control mosquitoes from the uh, Sacramento Yolo Vector District, 800-429-1022. Coming up in a few minutes, we find out about a, a great website called Calscape that if you are searching for low-water-use plants, California native plants in particular, this one breaks it down by your particular area, wherever you may live in California. You can just simply enter in your zip code, and it will tell you the California native plants, the trees, the shrubs, the vines, the perennials, the annuals, that will do well in your area, and not just do well, but actually are native to your area of California. California is not this... uh, one-size-fits-all state when it comes to plants. It's, uh, well, I think Sunset puts it best. They divide California into 24 climate zones and growing areas. 
because of the terrain, the topography, the weather. So we are quite the mix here. So what may do well at the coast may not do well inland and vice versa. So Calscape is a great website for finding uh, California native plants for your particular area. We're going to find out more about that coming up in just a few minutes. It is officially fall, and if you do nothing else in the fall, clean up, clean up, clean up. Uh, Feed your soil, too, but very important to remove fallen fruits, clean up the old summer vegetables, any diseased leaves and weeds from your garden beds. This is the number one way to easily reduce next year's garden pest and disease problems. Just a little cleanliness is a long way or is a good way to get to freedom from bad bugs. And then uh, feed the soil for the next growing season. Maybe uh, you're not going to be growing a winter vegetable garden. Well, put in a cover crop like clover or fava beans or vetch. Or at the very least, add a few inches of mulch, an organic mulch like chipped and shredded tree branches, for example, or even bark if you want to go to that expense. But three or four inches on your garden bed throughout the winter will help keep weeds down and slowly feed the soil, as well as moderate the influence of any heavy rains that might uh, come down as well. So uh, clean up and feed your soil this winter. Find out more about Calscape when we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. There is an exciting new website out there that was a joint product of the California Native Plant Society and the Jepson Herbarium at UC Berkeley. The website is calscape.org, C-A-L-S-C-A-P-E.org. Makes it easy for Californians to do this in a way that saves water, helps bring back native plants to the developed part of the state, along with the birds, butterflies, bees, and other pollinators that depend on them. And we're talking to the developer of that website, Dennis Mudd. He's a California Native Plant Society volunteer and the creator of Calscape. Uh, His previous career was in music. He was the founder of the very successful Slacker and Music Match online music service. And Dennis, I, I guess that aggregating native plants wouldn't be that far removed from aggregating music based on listeners' tastes. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I must admit, I'm, I'm looking at my site now, and it, uh, it looks a lot like the uh, way we organize albums and songs back in uh, my, my music days. <laughs> so I think it works very well for plants as well. I was addressing a group of uh, Northern California landscapers yesterday, telling them about this site. And it's so easy to use because you can enter in an address, you can enter in a zip code, you can enter in the city or town where you live, and up will pop a list of California native plants that will work well in your area. And it's subdivided into trees, shrubs, perennials, annuals, grasses, succulents, vines, plants for sun, native plants for shade, for part shade, ground covers, drought-tolerant plants, riparian plants, and my favorite category, very easy plants. Very important category there. And it is so easy to use, and people can really get a good idea of what the mature plants look like, as opposed to going into a nursery and seeing a lot of baby California natives, they can actually take a look at a series of pictures of each of these plants, as well as great descriptions and how to care for them, which is very important. How the heck did you do this? Well, a lot of this was uh, was trial and error, and then working with great partners at, at uh, CNPS, California Native Plant Society, and also at UC Berkeley, the Jeff Center area. But it really started, um, you know, especially down here in San Diego, 
uh, it's a tough environment for a lot of plants. And I found that a lot of the plants that were available from nurseries were really either, you know, they evolved to grow near the coast and a lot of cases in central California as well. So I did a lot of research to find which plants actually grow in my part of San Diego County, what, what, what evolved to grow in, in San Diego County. And I found that nothing like that existed. So I worked, uh, anyway, I ended up working with, with Berkeley and California Native Plant Society to put together the natural geographic distribution for, uh, for all native plants in California. And with that tool, it's very easy to see what plants really belong in every particular location in California. So let's clarify this. Does the site only list the plants that are native to that particular locale, or is it native plants that will work in that locale? It really, it, uh, it recommends the ones that are native. Um, sort of as, as uh, they've gotten more and more involved in, in uh, native plants and uh, native plant landscaping, uh, the number one rule of thumb for a successful uh, native plant gardening is, is to grow the plants that naturally belong in your location. And while there might be some exceptions that a plant that didn't really belong or didn't, did not um, evolve to grow in that location will still grow well, usually it's, you're, you're a lot safer and you're going to have a lot more successful garden if you plant actually the plants that, that evolve there. So this, um, this, this actually recommends the plants that, that uh, you know, if, there, if it hadn't been for development or it hadn't been for uh, um, people putting in uh, concrete and grass and palm trees, especially down here in San Diego, those would be the plants that would actually be on your location. So it really is a concept of, of nature, restora- nature restoration in landscaping as opposed to just trying to guess what plants you know, might, might be okay in that particular location. Now, a lot of people have the mistaken belief that uh, native plants in California to their locale may be very limited. But, for instance, I just entered the zip code for the location of where the radio station is, 95815. And mm-hmm. up popped a list of 463 plants. That's a lot to choose from. There, there is a lot to choose from, you know. And, and what we do is we also uh, we organize it by landscaping popularity or the default order. So you can see, okay, well, you know, what are the most popular um, plants that are native to my location? You know, in, in nurseries that you know are also uh, match other requirements like the most popular shade plants, the most popular trees, the most popular very easy to grow plants, for example, that are also native to my location. So hopefully we make it easy for people to, to do this sort of nature restoration landscaping. Yeah, exactly. The uh, sorting tool is very easy to use. You can sort by popularity. You can sort by common name. Or if you're a plant nerd, you can sort by botanical name. And uh, it, it really does work quite easily. And uh, I know that the landscapers I was talking to uh, recently about this site, they were most excited because you list where the plants can be purchased. Yes, yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't really help anybody in our target anyway, our target audience. So we just tell them all the plants that uh, hypothetically would, would naturally grow in their location. They need to go out and buy them from nurseries and put them in and, you know, and do the work. So we spent a lot of time and a lot of work on getting all the California native plant nurseries into our database and, uh, and then matching up on their inventories with, uh, with, uh, with, with our database as well. So if you, you, can, you can basically even go to our nursery list and uh, click on any nursery. Look at a map. It'll show you the nurseries that are, most, uh, that are closest to you. You can click on another link on that, on that page, and it'll show you the entire plant list. 
of that nursery that's native to you or that's nearest to you. And of course, uh, for people who like to do their own planting, a lot of great landscaping information, including the eventual uh, spread and height of the plant, the soil pH tolerance of the plant, the drainage condition it needs, the cold tolerance, uh, the maximum summer irrigation the plant would need. Uh, how to propagate it, that's really helpful, and also uh, plants that work well with it. Exactly. Yeah, we, um, we, we've been really lucky that we've had a lot of, a lot of partners, uh, particularly uh, through uh, California Native Plant Society, that, uh, that have helped us build out this database. You know, for example, the uh, Rancho, Santa Ana, uh, Rancho Santa Barbara Botanical Garden provided us with all the, uh, the propagation information that they've developed over the over the, the decades, and that's been very helpful and very useful for a lot of people that are doing their own um, growing. How the heck did you figure out the plant list by popularity? Uh, well, we, we we used some algorithms to find out, uh, uh, first of all, uh, which plants were carried by which nurseries. So popularity, um, it, it's mostly driven by the number of nurseries that are carrying a given plant. But then we also used information from, uh, uh, from Berkeley. They had... Uh, uh, they had a, a panel of blue ribbon um, uh, horticulturalists that that uh, that, that uh, looked at a bunch of different plants and and uh, basically so basically it's a, it's a combination of of expert input and the number of nurseries that are carrying uh, they're carrying a given plant. What sort of privacy issues may be involved in, in this? I can see a lot of people having hesitancy about uh, typing in their address uh, into the search box. Well, people can also just click on a link. So they don't have to go right to their location, um, not click on a link, click on a map. So we have, we, we've integrated this into Google Maps. So uh, in a part of our interface, there'll be a, a nice big Google Map window. You can just click the mouse cursor on anything that's close to your location, and it'll show you the plants that naturally belong there. And the maps uh, are based on over, what, 2 million GPS field observations? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. That was one of the, the coolest things that I found when I started working on this is that uh, is that UC Berkeley and the Consortium of California Herbaria have been collecting uh, um, uh, field occurrences of plants since the mid 1800s? Uh, you know, even even I think uh, the founder of California the Plants, Jepson, was uh, involved in noting the location of a number of plants. So we've got millions of observations of the plants in the wild that we're able to draw from, and we've what we've done is we've allocated every square mile in California to one of these. Biozones, which are kind of where plants grow, and then we're able to measure the uh, the min- elevation minimum and maximum of uh, of every one of the plants. So we use those the algorithms with that information to estimate the natural range of each of the plants. It's useful for any gardener if you're looking to install a low water use landscape. Why not go with California native plants? After all, uh, native plants bring in the beneficial insects, too, that are native to the area, including native bees. And this website can help you out a lot and find you the exact plants that will do well exactly where you live. Again, the website is calscape.org, C-A-L-S-C-A-P-E dot O-R-G, calscape.org, from the California Native Plant Society and the Jepson Herbarium at UC Berkeley. And its creator, Dennis Mudd of the California Native Plant Society. He's a volunteer there and the creator of Calscape. Dennis, thanks for your time today. My pleasure, Fred. Thanks for having me. You know, there's a lot of great California native plants that put on a show during the fall and the winter. Uh, Plants like the vine maple, which has this beautiful red leaves in the fall. Uh, A lot of people forget about the toyon, the Christmas berry, which, true to its name, has berries at Christmas time. 
It's really a gorgeous plant. There's a lot of manzanitas, too, that flower in late December or January, uh, such as the Austin Griffiths manzanita. So manzanitas are something to be including for cool season interest. Uh, California pipe vine, which is a vine and attracts the swallowtail butterfly, is a, and a very interesting plant, to say the least, and uh, the California pipe vine. How about the uh, California dogwood? Uh, that has great fall color, too, with the red leaves. People forget that the California sycamore is a California native, a tree, big tree, with its yellow leaves. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Oregon grape, even though it's the state flower of Oregon or the state plant of Oregon, it does well here. The Mahonia, that's the Oregon grape, which just has some beautiful red leaves in the fall and looks just great. And one of my favorites is California buckwheat which holds its flowers all winter. And the flowers sort of change color through the seasons from white in the springtime to almost a rusty brown uh, in late fall and attracts a whole host of beneficials. That's the California buckwheat. So there's a lot of great plants that are California natives that do have a lot of interest in the cool season. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we will be telling you in great detail why fall is for planting. It's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Hi, this is Dana Hesse, and what are you doing for dinner tonight? <laughs> you love to hear that question, don't you? Well, here's an idea. Don't cook. Experience your neighborhood Outback Steakhouse. I'm from Oklahoma. We love our beef. And you can get high-quality signature steaks like the famous Victorious Filet Mignon. Bold flavor that melts in your mouth. Serve perfectly however you want it. And maybe you want uh, fish or chicken tonight. Well, they have a taste for everyone from grilled salmon to grilled chicken right off the barbie with freshly made sides, baked uh, potato, homestyle mashed seasonal veggies a wedge salad makes a great meal and perhaps you'd like to chill out with an adult beverage well this month outback steakhouse serving three margaritas made with casamigos tequila and the pineapple gingerita is amazing others uh, they have the cocoa rita and cucumber basil rita as well and if you don't want to go out you can also order outback for delivery through doordash delivery service for lunch and dinner so what are you waiting for experience outback steakhouse tonight attention this is an investor notice are you interested in making some extra cash buying real estate tax liens then listen to this the government tax lien network is offering a free tax lien kit which contains two DVDs and a step-by-step report that will show you how to earn guaranteed returns between 15 and 35% yearly, which is completely secured by the government. They'll even show you how to do this inside your own retirement accounts. So if you're looking to become a real estate investor without risk, then call 1-800-613-6711 now to get your free tax lien kit. Then get ready to buy tax liens for pennies on the dollar and buy houses for as low as $500, all from your home with little or no money, working only 5 to 10 hours per week. Call 800-613-6711 right now to get your free tax lien kit, plus two free tickets to a live training event and a free $20 Visa gift card just for attending. Call 800-613-6711. That's 800-613-6711 for your free tax lien kit now. Individual results may vary. means dry and cool in Latin, and that's exactly how you'll feel when you wear Frigo underwear. With ergonomic seams, moisture-wicking technology, and sports compression, Frigo is technical underwear designed for the ultimate performance and comfort. It's like having custom-made air-conditioned underwear. F-R-I-G-O spells Frigo. Buy yours now at iwearfrigo.com. 
Unless you grow your food yourself, how do you know where it comes from and what's been done to it? That's why we started Eat Real Certified. Our dietitians verify that the food you're buying is good for you and good for the planet. Make dining out easy and eat real. Look for us in your city and at eatreal.org. For many businesses, hiring is tough. You want access to highly qualified candidates fast. And you don't want to sign a long-term contract or pay upfront fees. That's why you need Indeed.com, delivering six times more hires than any other job site, according to independent research. Indeed is offering new users a $50 credit to give their first job post premium visibility as a sponsored job. Redeem this offer at Indeed.com credit. That's Indeed.com credit. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. At Progressive, we think your handbag business with the reversible top notch is top notch. In fact, there's no other notch at the tippity-top your top notch doesn't top. But even at the top, you didn't stop. You copped Progressive Business Insurance. With over 40 years of expertise helping non-stopping top-notchers notch spots at the top. Now, break out your stopwatch and hopscotch to ProgressiveCommercial.com. Because this is one opportunity you don't want to botch. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Affiliates. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. A lot of people think spring is the best time for planting, but mm -mm, right now is the time to do some serious planting in your yard. We're talking with Amy Talbot. She's the Water Efficiency Program Manager with the Regional Water Authority. And Amy, this is a great time of year to be planting. Tell us why. Well, like we're saying that fall is the new spring, and I want to tell you why we think that. There are several reasons why when you plant in the fall, you're really more in tune with nature. One is that the soil is still warm from the summer heat that promotes root growth. The days are shorter and cooler, so there's less heat, so you need less water. And you're going to get those natural rains that we typically get in the fall and winter time. So it's actually this perfect combination of factors that make it the perfect time to start planting and thinking about your garden. And then by the time spring and summer comes around, all the roots are deeply embedded. Your garden's all set and ready for that uh, growth spurt that happens when the sun comes back out. But a lot of people forget about is that anytime you put a new plant in the ground, there's a period of shock. And you want to lessen that shock as much as, as possible in order to get those roots established. And like you say, this is the time of the year to do it. The soil is still warm. Air temperatures are still cool. You get some light uh, October, November rains, and pretty soon you have a very healthy plant in your yard. It's just like exercising. You know, you need that little warm-up period to like stretch out your muscles before you go on that sprint. That's kind of how I see it. Now, why is the Regional Water Authority promoting fall planting? Well, we're, we're promoting fall planting uh, for the reasons that we talked about, but also establishing plants, plants right now uses less water than what it would establishing them in the spring. And to help us with that, we're partnering with local nurseries that have the plants available right now in their stores to help promoting uh, fall planting. And I would imagine many of them also may have handouts or seminars going on uh, during the fall months to uh, help people in that regard. That's right. There's a lot of resources out there. We've got uh, tearaway sheets, uh, some of the registers. We've got a lot of resources on our website, bewatersmart.info. The nurseries have a lot of information on their websites as well. It's also really important to 
talk to the people that are there. The you know the people that work for the nurseries are a great source of information. You can go in there and say, I want to plant now. Here's what I'm thinking. What options do you have available? And let's say you go in, you have this one plant list in mind. You're like, I want these five plants. I would encourage everyone to be open to um, some similar substitutes because not every nursery can carry every plant. So think of it as kind of like a creative adventure, like you're going with this idea in mind, but be open to uh, some alternative options. Uh, keeping in mind that the importance here is to is to plant in fall to get something in the ground. And I, I think I hear a little nudge in your voice about maybe choosing some low water use plants. Yeah, we're definitely encouraging low water use in native plants just because not only are they more in tune, again, with what's happening um, in a natural environment, they're also going to reduce the watering needs for your household. And in our region, especially in the summertime, half of our water use is outdoors. We're not technically in a drought, but we're always trying to use water efficiently, no matter what the weather is, no matter what the um, conditions are, drought, no drought. And, you know, the fact is that the weather is changing and that we need to be mindful of the plants and um, that we're putting into the ground and how we're using water. So, you know, we did come out of that drought. It's never okay to waste. And since we use so much water in our landscapes, it's really important to think about how you're using that landscape water. And the fact of the matter is we might be starting a new drought right now. We just don't know at this point. That's true. So, you know, we never know exactly how the water season is going to turn out. And that's why making these permanent changes um, in transitioning our landscape to the low water use in native plants is a, a more permanent solution to using less water, again, regardless if we have a drought or a wet season. And most, if not all, of the local water agencies still have restrictions on watering, don't they? There are um, almost every water agency has guidelines, whether that be, you know, number of days per week, exactly what days you can water. And then also some of them have um, preferred time. So you don't really want to water in the middle of the day when it's the hottest and you're going to lose a lot of that water to um, evaporation. So check with your local water agency on what those watering guidelines may be. If you're not sure, you can go to our website, bewatersmart.info. We have a watering map. You can put your address in. They'll tell you what your watering days are, what times, and any other landscape restrictions you might have. Among the nurseries where you can find Regional Water Authority information on the benefits of fall planting, there's Big Oak Nursery and Elk Grove, Bushnell Garden Center, the Isley Nursery, Eldorado Nursery, Elderberry Farm, Native Plant Nursery, all the Green Acres Nursery locations, High Hand Nursery in Loomis, and Silverado Building Materials and Nursery in Sacramento. Did we hit them all? I think so. And if we haven't, we can go to our website, bewatersmart.info, and we've got them all listed there right off the homepage. All right. Fall is for planting. Spring or fall is the new spring, as you would say. Correct, Amy? That's right. Fall is the new spring. All right. Amy Talbot, Water Efficiency Program Manager for Regional Water Authority. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thank you so much. Let's delve into the email people have been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com or posting at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Mary Alice over in Contra Costa County writes in and says, I need advice on what type of of full sun trees that has roots that won't destroy pavers, something that would provide shade as needed. What you got? Well, there is a lot of uh, variables 
in what you're asking for, Mary Alice, including how far away from any sort of structure will this tree be? How far away from a sewer line? How far away from a sidewalk or a driveway? Because that will determine what size tree you should plant. Smaller to medium trees don't need as much room as a larger tree. A larger tree, like a California sycamore, for example, should be planted at least 15 feet away from any sort of hardscape, any sort of sidewalk or driveway or foundation. Smaller trees, medium-sized trees, maybe 10 feet, 12 feet. Small trees, 8 feet. So you got to know how far away any sort of problem is. So let's say it is 15 feet away. And you want a tree that doesn't have surface roots. Well, I can tell you right off the bat, don't plant liquid ambers. But if you're looking for a good shade tree that tends, with proper watering, and that's key, to put its roots below the surface, then you may want to choose a tree like a Chinese pistache, which in time is a very good shade tree. And watering it efficiently is the best way to ensure that the roots do not come up to the surface. The problems usually happen when trees are planted in the middle of lawns, and the only way those tree roots are getting water is from the sprinkler water for the lawns. The tree roots will tend to come to the surface. So you need to clear out an area that is almost the exact canopy area of the tree, from the trunk to the outer edge of the tree, and keep that clear. Maybe fill it with mulch or some uh, particular plants to put in there that could help. But there's a lot of uh, variables in that uh, question there, Marianne. Sacramento Tree Foundation has more information about that. Uh, We'll take a break. More of Get Growing and a Garden Grappler on the way. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. If if you were listening 15 minutes ago, you've got all sorts of answers in your head. And there are answers online. You can click on the link at FarmerFred.com that says a clue for the Garden Grappler to figure out a winning answer. Today's question, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio. Name a California native plant with fall or winter interest. It could be the leaves. It could be the flowers or the fruit. It could be the bark. Something that's interesting in the fall or winter that is a California native plant. Hmm. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. I rattled off a bunch of them just a few minutes ago. Even even Brooks might remember one or two. He, he's ready to get your answers in line here so we can figure out if you win or lose. Have a backup answer, though, because as you know in the Garden Grappler, there are five winners. But you can't repeat an earlier answer, and Caller 5 obviously has it toughest of all, so they get a bonus prize. That's the way it works at the Garden Grappler. So name a California native plant with fall or winter interest. 576-1578 is the number to call here in the 916 area code. 916-576-1578. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Name a California native plant with fall or winter interest. That's a little tougher than normal. Which means, I guess, uh, if we don't get a winner, Brooks, you get the grand prize. All right. So we'll see. 
All right, name a California native plant with fall or winter interest. 576-1578 here in the 916 or toll free 866-331-8255. And while you're thinking about that, let's find out how to grow grapes in a container. Container grown grapes. Yes, you can do it too. Found this out recently when I paid a visit to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. I'm looking at a grapevine in a barrel. Think you can't grow grapes in a barrel? Well, yes, you can. We're talking with Master Gardener, Matt Van Arsdale. And Matt, uh, this is a, a nice experiment you have going here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. And you were saying that uh, you've had a lot of questions in the past about, hey, can I grow a grapevine in a container? Fred, I had so many questions from uh, our customers that come in on the open garden days and ask, you know, I'm not going to be staying in my house very long or looking at possibly moving. I don't. I want to plant a grape. Not sure how it would do if I had to transplant it. Could I plant one in a barrel? And so I got to thinking about it. I don't, well, I don't know why not. Let's try it. So we experimented, bought a couple of barrels, and um, we've got two different grapes going right now. We've tried an Italia. It was root-bound in a one-gallon container, and we thought, well, let's try it. We put it in, and it's grown probably five times the size in five months. It's just really, really happy in the barrel. It's got room to spread out. The roots now are getting the water and the, the air it needs. And then we did one also with a diamond muscat as well, and it's, it's thriving just as well. And both of those are table grapes. They're both table grapes, both green grapes, and uh, for the most part, I think they're most, two, two of the most delicious grapes we have out here. They're, they will ripen up. We had them ripe for harvest day in August, so they're for pretty early producers. And now I know people are going to ask, wait a minute, he just said these are the best tasting varieties out there. What were the names he said? The most popular ones, Fred by far, Diamond Muscat, and the Italia has been one of the favorites as well because it's a larger grape. So basically the dimensions for this wine barrel, which looks to be a little bit smaller than some other wine barrels, this looks to be about 18 inches tall with a diameter at the top of about 24 inches. That's what it is, Fred. And uh, once we planted that one gallon grape in here, there was so much room for the roots now for expansion. We, ac we actually added the, uh, the drip, drip line all the way around, and it's getting plenty of water. And like I said, we've got it on a trellis. And that's important to have something to climb on and grow on. So right now we've got it into a trellis that's probably at least four to five feet tall to give it some room. Are you going to keep it pruned to remain on this trellis or are you going to increase the size of the trellis? At this point in time, the plan was to prune it all the way back. When we do our, uh, our dormant pruning in February, we we're going to prune it all the way down and keep it on the trellis and see if we can produce grapes in this small footprint. So instead of cane pruning, you'll be doing spur pruning? Uh, you know, that's going to be the decision of our uh, vineyard leader here. She's going to decide whether or not how she wants these pruned. But at the, you're right, at this point, probably uh, the diamond muscat, for instance, can be pruned either way and be successful. So it's going to be interesting to see if we may, we may try uh, the spur pruning on that one. Talk a little bit about the soil mix and the watering system in here. You mentioned a drip irrigation system. Is it uh, inline emitters? Is it quarter inch or half inch tubing? And how many emitters? So it looks like you have quarter inch line drip in here and a half gallon emitter spaced about 18 inches apart. So probably one, two, three, four. In a, is it uh, where is the drip line in this container? Is it towards the outer edge or is it snaking throughout it? Put it on the outer edge, Fred. It's about an inch or two from uh, from the outside edge, and it's a ring all the way around. And it's about an inch deep. We covered it with mulch, 
and then we put a little uh, we put a clean out on the very end of it so that we can flush it out once a year. I like that idea. At the end of your uh, quarter-inch drip line, you do have uh, basically an open barb with a uh, little valve on it. And so when you need to flush it out, you can just open that valve and flush out the line. That's correct. Rather than have to disconnect the entire system, we turn one little valve halfway and, uh, and flush it out. It's a lot easier to use. Right. Now, what sort of soil mix is in here? Well, we got the 70-30 mix, and to my knowledge, it came from Hasties, and uh, it's a combination soil and compost, like I said, 70-30 ratio. And uh, you've topped it with mulch, too. We did. We topped it with mulch, and it's regular uh, regular tree bark, or not tree bark, but tree mulch. And then we added uh, some fertilizer as well, so we've added a little bit of Nutri-Rich on top, a really good, uh, successful organic fertilizer that we've uh, we've been using out here quite a bit. How often do you have to water it and for how long? Right now it's being watered uh, twice a week. It was three times a week, and we actually had to do some hand watering when it was 110 just to assure once we got it planted that it was having getting enough water. But right now it's only getting water a couple of times a week, and it's plenty. And how long is it on for each uh, session? Right now I believe it's on for about 20 minutes per session, maybe even a half an hour at, at times. It depends on how the, the system is being set up. And drain holes in the bottom of the container. It's amazing the number of people I talk to who get wine barrels and forget to put uh, drainage holes in the bottom. I'm sure glad you mentioned that because I actually brought my drill and a one-inch bit and drilled about eight holes at the bottom to make sure a sure drainage. We weren't going to have any issues with it getting plugged up. All right. Great job here. Can you grow a grapevine in a barrel? Well, they're doing it here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. You may want to give it a try yourself. Come out here to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. They have workshops every month. And, of course, there's Harvest Day, which is the first Saturday in August. And uh, check it out for yourself. A lot of great ideas for the backyard you can find here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Matt Van Arsdale, Master Gardener here in Sacramento County, thanks for uh, telling us more about grapes in a container. Thanks a lot, Fred. All right, Garden Grappler time. We have people lined up, people who say they can name a California native plant with fall or winter interest. The numbers to call, 576-1578 in the 916 area code or 866-331-8255. Let's kick it off. Let's start with Roberta in Garden Valley. Hi, Roberta. Oh, good morning, Fred. Oh, I love your shows. Well, thank you. But uh, can you think of a California native plant that might have some interest this time of year or come winter? Uh, my favorite is the toyon, the Christmas berry. Me too, because it attracts all sorts of birds for the berries, and the bees love the flowers in the springtime, and it's a wonderful shrub that gets so 15 to 18 feet tall and wide and isn't too fussy about water either. Yeah, toyon, beautiful plant. The uh, Christmas berry, because it does have berries at Christmas time. Good answer, Roberta. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Fred. And I'm I'm going to be sending you from the California Native Plant Society their plant list for native plants that are suitable for the Sacramento area, along with the new revised Farmer Fred's Fall Garden Checklist. So that'll be coming your way, Roberta. Thank you so much, and um, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, and you too. All right, let's go to caller number two. Way down in Hemet. Hi, Cynthia. Hi. Hi. So, Cynthia, can you uh, grow horseradish in Hemet? Cynthia? I've got a friend that is trying to find the horseradish seeds or whatever it takes at woods um, yeah. where they can have a continuous 
supply of horseradish. Exactly. Now, if you can grow it in the area that you want to grow it, if others are growing it there, then you can probably uh, grow it there. Now, Hemet, if it's in Hemet, Hemet is, is low desert, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, as opposed, and most of the horseradish grown in California is actually up in the high desert in northeastern California, but you might give it a shot there. And most horseradish is grown from roots, not seed. Right. And uh, there are a lot of sources for it. Uh, seed Savers uh, carries the roots. Uh, Johnny Selected Seeds, uh, which is uh, Internet-based, and they have a catalog. Harris Seeds also carries the roots. I've even seen uh, horseradish roots available on Amazon. So usually from any of those commercial nursery sources, you can find horseradish roots. Okay. All right. Now, do you have, a, you have an answer for the garden grappler? Name a... California native plant with fall or winter interest. Okay, um, I think you said something about the California sycamore. Yeah, exactly. The California sycamore, big tree, beautiful fall-colored leaves. They usually turn yellow, and if you got the room for a sycamore, it's a good tree that doesn't require much water. Cynthia, good answer. I'll be sending you the California Native Plant Society plant list as well as uh, Farmer Fred's Fall Garden checklist. And let me put you back on hold there so Brooks can get your name and address, and uh, we'll send that stuff off to you, okay? Okay, thank you very much. All right. Let me see if I hit the right button here. I think I did. Good for me. All right. Caller number three in today's Garden Grappler. It's Ted. And there, Fred. It's Ted in Granite Bay. It is. Ted, how are you? Okay, I'm out of the septic tank. I was going to say, you've been posting pictures on Facebook of you at the bottom of a septic tank. And I'm trying to figure out the engineering behind this particular septic tank. Most septic tanks have leach fields directly connected from them that are downhill of the tank itself. But it sounds like your leach field is uphill. You've got it. That's 100%. So it goes into two big tanks, and then the third one is the liquid that we pump uphill. And that (laughs) pump goes out about every nine years. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) It's a busy tank. Yeah, that's a a pump that's uh, always working. And so in in all the years, I mean, you've lived there a long time. Yes, 50 years. 50 years, so that means you've probably replaced that five or six times. Five times. This is the fifth. All right. And you haven't, in five tries, come up with a better solution than having to go down deep into the ground? <laughs> no, I think I. this is my last time, Fred. I, once I get down there, it's hard to get out. Yeah, I mean, these pictures are I don't show- have the strength anymore. And my wife, I'm afraid she's going to put the lid on, and that's the end of it. <laughs> well, don't give her ideas. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it out of the septic tank, yes. okay? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. <laughs> oh, you lead, a, you lead an lead an interesting life, Ted. Yes. <laughs> it's always something going on here. All right. Well, Ted, go ahead. Okay. Give us a California native plant that yes. has fall or winter interest. I'm going to try with the purgatroid part first and then see if you can guess what I'm saying. We need to talk about how they come up with that, the, these names, but Parthenosisquinquefolia. Very good. Actually, Parthenosisquinquefolia, which I think is the Virginia creeper. If, if You're I'm, right. If, hey, I'm going to send you a card. All right, thanks. But is the Virginia creeper... A California native. 
That's what I'm looking up. Okay, well, see, I've got other answers here, but right. uh, I have that out on, you know, it grows out on our property, and it's very colorful starting this time of the year. Yeah, let's see. It's native to eastern and central North America from southeastern Canada and the eastern United States, west of Manitoba and Utah, south to eastern Mexico and Guatemala. So I think the answer is no. Okay. Uh, here, uh, I, I have... Well, I'm going to go one with without the name because I have it. I'm looking at it out here in the field, and that is the California dogwood. Very good. Yeah, exactly. The California dogwood has beautiful fall color of the red leaves, right? Yes. All yeah. right. Good answer, Ted. So I will be sending you or, or sticking in your fence the uh, California Native Plant Society list for uh, native plants for our area and Farmer Fred's Fall Garden Checklist. All right. Now I looked at the native, uh, the native plant site that you had the fellow on, Dennis. I think. Yeah. It's really neat. It's a great site, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Calscape.org is the uh, site, and you can enter in your zip code and find out all the plants that are native to your area. Yeah, that's that's really neat. So, I hope. I I'm wondering. I'm going to wait and see what the prize is. I'm wondering if it's Renee's book. That was what I was hoping for. Well, keep hoping. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, Ted. All right. Thank you, Fred. Have a great day. Okay. Stay out of the septic tank. All right. All right. We'll take a short break. Then we'll get to answers four and five in today's Garden Grappler as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we've had some good answers so far in today's Garden Grappler. Name a California native plant with fall or winter interest. Roberta in Garden Valley said Toyon, also known as the Christmas Berry. Cynthia down in Hemet said California Sycamore. Beautiful big tree with yellow leaves in the fall. Ted in Granite Bay mentioned the California Dogwood. Beautiful red foliage. In the fall, there's a lot of plants. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Donna, your caller number four. Donna down in Merced. Go ahead, give us a California native plant with fall or winter interest. How about a rosemary? Well, it's not a California native. Oh, okay. That that that's the issue there. Um, anything else you want to try? No. Oh. Okay. Let's see. Uh. Pacific crab apple. Pacific crab apple. Well, there's coastal and many coastal areas of California. The Pacific crab apple has fall color where other plants have none. I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm, I, you may okay. be you may you may be very correct, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised. It's uh, let's see if it has fall color. Let's see now. It is native to Western North America from Alaska through British Columbia to Northwestern California. So there you go. It grows in the Cascade Range and the Pacific Coast Range. And And the fruit, uh, red, yellow, or yellow-green, blooms in the spring. But when does it fruit? I would think that it would fruit in the fall. So that would be winter and fall, cool season interest, shall we say. So why not that? Okay, why not? Why not? The Pacific Crab Apple. Good hunting there, Donna. I'll be sending you the uh, California native plant list for uh, native plants for our area and Farmer Fred's newly revised fall garden checklist. That's coming your way. Thank you. 
All thank right. You so much. Thank you, Donna. All right. All right. Always good to have a backup answer. Caller number five in today's Garden Grappler, it's Bonnie up in Placerville. And Bonnie, if you can come up with a California native plant with fall or winter interest that isn't a toy-on, a California sycamore, a California dogwood, or a Pacific crab apple, I have for you, appropriately enough, the 2018 Placer County Gardening Guide and Calendar, the perfect garden companion for all our friends up in the foothills. And in fact, uh, I believe uh, in your area, they're they are offering it for sale at El Dorado Nursery down in Shingle Springs. And I believe uh, the Master Gar- Placer Master Gar- Gardeners will be at the uh, uh, Auburn Home Show next weekend, uh, offering it for sale as well. So there you go. So, Bonnie, uh, now, it's your, now it's your job. Go ahead. Okay. Give us a California native plant. Uh, Pacific Nine Bark, the Phrygocarpus capitatus. Oh. Scrub with uh, exfoliating uh, bark. Um, it's very beautiful uh, specimen plant in the wintertime. So. Are you going to be at the uh, California Native Plant Society sale in uh, Placerville on October 7th? Uh, yes, I am. I'm going, <laughs> I actually am. I'm very active with the California Native Plant Society El Dorado chapter, and um, I'll be running the book table. All right. I, I, I just had this funny feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, yeah, you know more than most. All right, the Cal- the Pacific Nine Bark. And you even said Physocarpus capitatus, which means that you get psychic bonus points for using the botanical name. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. So I'll be, I'll be sending you those psychic bonus points along with the uh, Placer uh, 2018 calendar and gardening guide that uh, will be a perfect accompaniment uh, for your plant oh. sale. I love it. All right, and I, Thank I you so much. and uh, I'll come by and say hi to you because I I saw your plant list and there are some intriguing plants that yeah. uh, I want to <laughs> uh, purchase. So uh, that'll be on October seventh there in Placerville up on uh, Fairlane, I believe. Yes, it is, and I look for, oh I look forward to meeting you then. That that'll be great. Good. I I look forward to meeting you too. I'll be uh I I'll still mail the calendar. But, yes, yes. but but I'll 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 see you there at the sale on October seventh. Well, Bonnie, good answer. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you. All right. Bye bye. All right. Yeah, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Debbie Flower and I are going to do a road trip on October seventh up to uh, Placerville to the uh, Native Plant Society show and or, or sale really, plant sale going on there uh, at the uh, government complex there on Fairlane Drive. Uh, on October 7th. A lot of good plant sales going on, too. By the way, the Sacramento chapter of the California Native Plant Society is having their sale going on right now till about 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock today at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park. When we come back, we're going to talk with Warren Roberts out of the UC Davis Arboretum here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Well, we like to get a lot of Warren Roberts at least once a month, but he can never get through all the list of plants that are currently in bloom in just one little segment on one show. So we have Warren Roberts on both the KFBK Garden Show and Get Growing here on KSTE to finish off the list of each month's outstanding plants that... uh, 
Occupy the UC Davis Arboretum. And uh, Warren, as as fall begins, there's still a lot of summer color, the beginning of fall color. And fall, as we know, is for planting, and the big UC Davis Arboretum fall plant sale is coming up. Yes, it's coming up on the 7th of October. And uh, from 9 to 11 uh, for members, although you can join at the door. And then after 11 o'clock from 11 to 1, it's open to everybody. But it's kind of a good idea to join because I think there's some inducements, <laughs> some discounts and whatnot. I believe there are. Usually there's a free plant involved, too. Yes. All right. So, again, that'll be coming up on Saturday, October the 7th at the Teaching Nursery at the UC Davis Arboretum. And, Warren, going back to a plant we were talking about over on the KFBK Garden Show, and you had problems uh, recalling what the name used to be on the Arboretum All-Star list. So, in the meantime, I went and did a little bit of research about that plant. And and the um, new name is, well, you pronounce it, uh, I want to say Bacchiopsis Parishai. Bacchiopsis Parishai, that'd be good, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there it actually does have a common name, I found out, called Parish Golden Eye or Shrubby Golden Eye. And uh, the former name for it, and I will mispronounce this, uh, Viguera Parishai. Viguera, right. Viguera, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you pointed out, it's uh, from uh, the sunflower family and uh, is in bloom much of the year. Yes, it blooms almost all year. If it's a slightly shady uh, spot, it tends to be lower growing. In full sun, it's taller. All right. And uh, if you want more information about that, uh, I don't know if it would be on the uh, Arboretum plant list anymore or not, but I know it's on the calscape.org plant list. Yes, it's, it would be on the list because it's growing in the Arboretum. So on the Arboretum list, so oh. yes, you could find it. Yeah, Maybe it would be part of the fall sale. It might be. Uh, by the way, the, the fall, this fall sale is one of the most splendid that I've ever seen. It, I, when I walked in, I gave me what I had. I just went, wow. <laughs> so I think you'll enjoy it. All right. And as uh, if you were listening to the KFBK Garden Show, you know that we are playing uh, Warren Roberts Bingo today. I came across this list at the Arboretum website called Hummingbird Friendly Plants for California Central Valley. And I just had a sneaking suspicion that Warren today would be mentioning at least five of the plants on this list. Now, he doesn't know what's on this list, but in the first segment over on KFBK, he named three of the hummingbird-friendly plants that are putting on a show right now. The Chilopsis linearis, the desert willow, the California fuchsia, Epilobium canum, and a, a grevillea species. And grevilleas, of course, very attractive to hummingbirds. And Warren, I have a funny feeling that uh, as the minutes go on here, you'll name at least two more hummingbird-friendly plants. I bet we will. Yes. One thing too is that most flowers are interested, uh, interesting to hummingbirds. They learn very quickly, even if it's not the usual tubular red flower. They are curious and fearless. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. So when um, we when we last left off, we the last plant you talked about was Colobateria bipinnatus. Yes, Colobateria bipinnata with its yellow flowers now. Um, and, um, of course, we have to mention the crepe myrtle, which is many of which are still looking good. Um, the Lycoris radiata, which is the spider lily, is uh, still in bloom. That's an old-fashioned garden plant used a lot in the, in the Central Valley, Lycoris radiata. And a grass, Muhlenbergia reverconii undaunted, which is very similar to Muhlenbergia capillaris lenca. These grasses create a cloud of purple. 
um, it's the, you might call it the purple mist muleygrass. Muhlenbergia revertonii undaunted. Amazing. Um, moving on to other things, the oleanders are still in bloom. The prickly pears, the opuntia with their beautiful fruit. The plumbago is, uh, is still uh, blooming beautifully. Another grass, Penicetum cetaceum, uh, one of the feather grasses, looking very nice now too. And roses, they're still out there blooming. And in fact, in the fall, they often have a nice flesh of, of bloom. They think it's spring again. They do. Ruelia bretoniana. Ruelia is a sometimes called a wild petunia bush with purple flowers, um, easy to grow, likes sun and, and likes a bit of water, but uh, it's a it's a very enthusiastic plant for Sacramento. Rhodophiala bifida, a bulb from uh, Argentina, Brazil, uh, Uruguay, uh, like a miniature um, uh, amaryllis with red flowers. Uh, really spectacular right now. Salvia mesa azure uh, looks kind of like the uh, the salvia of the autumn sage sages, which are still in bloom as well. And there you and, go. There's plant number four on the hummingbird-friendly plant list for California Central Valley, salvias. Salvias, yes. And salvia darcii, which is from the mountains of Mexico, uh, that's, a, that's a hummingbird plant per excellence. Sedum herbsfreude, which is one of the uh, succulents that blooms in the, in the fall. And... Um, Sternbergia lutea, one of my favorite bulbs. It looks like a yellow crocus, blooms this time of year, super easy to grow. In fact, that's one of the plants that if you plant it and get it started in our climate, typically you don't need to water it at all. Cynthiotrichum mm. purple dome. Cynthiotrichum is a new name for most of the verbenas. Um, I think if you just remember purple dome verbena, you'll be fine. The stipa giganteum, still looking good. And uh, Tacoma stands, the uh, honeybells, uh, with its yellow flowers, and there are hybrids of it, too, with orange flowers. Trichostema linatum, woolly blue curls, looking good. Um, Yucca gloriosa, one of the most spectacular uh, flowering plants in the Arboretum right now. Well, they, with, uh, well, I guess you'd say six-foot-tall spires of uh, ivory-colored flowers. Zephranthes candida, the Argentine zephyr lily, uh, looks like a tall white crocus uh, in, with grassy foliage in bloom now. And zinnia, whew, we made it. There's a nice <laughs> patch of zinnias behind the uh, teaching nursery. Uh, you have to kind of look around for it, but uh, zinnias, what a great plant. Native to Mexico and very good garden plants for California. There were two. Oh. There were two plants on this hummingbird-friendly plant list that I thought you would mention, and I, I bet they're there putting on a show somewhere. And uh, one of them is penstemon, and the other is coria. Now, penstemon, yes, the penstemons uh, are. We do have penstemons in bloom, kind of past their prime right now, but uh, there are about in the arboretum there are about three or four penstemons in, in bloom with red flowers, violet-colored flowers white flowers and so on. And uh, you mentioned Coria. Uh, I couldn't get to our Coria section. That, that area is being under construction, but it could be that we have. That's the Australian fuchsia. And uh, they, there may be some in bloom. I, I'm not sure on that. The ones I had purchased at the spring UC Davis Arboretum plant sale are blooming here. 
Oh, there's so many other things in bloom in the Arboretum. These are just the ones that caught my eye the most. Uh, the, the total list is about, uh, oh my goodness, about 200 plants. Oh my. <laughs> it is prime time. I mean, you got all the benefits of still warm soil, but the and the benefits of shorter days and milder temperatures, and plants are just loving it. Yes, it's kind of like a second spring for the year, really. All right. So this is a perfect time of year to visit the UC Davis Arboretum. Take a stroll. It's open seven days a week. And I think parking is free on weekends, isn't it? I believe it is. Okay, that's good. And, of course, don't forget their big plant sale on Saturday, October 7th, the UC Davis Arboretum plant sale. If you want more information about that, you can visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Well, Warren, once again, we made it through the list. Good for us. Yeah, we did. Thank you, Fred. And we'll do it again next month, won't we? Looking forward to it. I like that idea. Warren Roberts, Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much, Fred. It's a lot of fun. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Coming up after 12 o'clock, it's the KSTE Farm Hour. And we have a report about how Westland's Water District may have put a a big uh, halt on the Delta Tunnels Project. The farmers of Fresno and uh, Kings County basically uh, voted not to sponsor their portion of the Delta Tunnels project, saying they couldn't make money because the cost per farmer would rise to something like $600 an acre. And as they put it, we can't grow anything to make a profit if we're paying $600 per acre foot of water. So has Westland's Water District and their no vote killed off the Delta Tunnels project? I wouldn't bet on that, but uh, still, it's... uh, People are scrambling right now to figure out how to revive this project. And anyway, we'll have that full report for you on the KSTE Farm Hour. Also, the hurricane destruction going on in Florida and Georgia has played havoc with the citrus and pecan industry. Can California pick up that slack? So we uh, talk about what's happening down in Florida, the state of the uh, California citrus industry, and the state of the California pecan industry. And uh, what else are we going to talk about? Oh, a little primer on rice. You've heard of long grain, medium grain, short grain, sweet rice, all those varieties. What what do you do with all that rice? Well, we're going to find out. A little bit of a rice primer coming up about Sacramento Valley rice. That'll It's all on the KSTE Farm Hour between noon and 1 o'clock today on this very radio station. Also available as a podcast at KSTE.com or the iHeartRadio app, as is this little radio show right here, Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE, available as a podcast via KSDE.com or uh, the iHeartRadio app or your favorite third-party aggregator, as is the KSTE Farm Hour. Aggregators such as, oh, I don't know, iTunes. All right, so you can find it there. And um, what else? I was going to mention something about, oh, this show. Coming up in, what is it now, about five weeks? The first show in November, whatever that Sunday is, that'll be 25 years, 25 complete years of Get Growing. We're going to bring back the original guest. Thank you for that, Brooks. November 5th, Sunday, November 5th, 
we will have the 25th anniversary show. And it's not only the 25th anniversary show for Get Growing on KSTE. It is actually the 25th anniversary for KSTE. By the oddest of coincidences, the first voice heard on KSTE uh, was mine. <laughs> that was a strange coincidence. But uh, and I'm still there, which is amazing. 25 years in radio is like, I don't know, 100 years in real life, something like that. But uh, proud to have survived all that time. So I, I'm not sure how sober I'll be on uh, November 5th, but what the heck, we'll do a show anyway with the original guests that we had on that show then. But uh, looking forward to the 25th anniversary show of Get Growing. So, uh, you know, I, I'm i not going to say who that guest is because <laughs> I forgot to ask him if he'd be on yet. I got to do that. So I, I think he will. I don't think it'll be much of a problem. All right. Anyway. Garden events, what's going on? You know, I mentioned uh, talking with Warren Roberts there about their sale coming up October 7th, and I mentioned uh, before that uh, during the Garden Grappler about the California Native Plant Society up in Placerville, the El Dorado chapter having their sale on October 7th. Also on October 7th, the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center is having their fall sale where all the clubs that use that facility there in McKinley Park uh, will be having sort of a joint fall sale no, they're not selling joints. Go away. Uh, plants, art, jewelry, flowers, antiques, crafts, and a lot more for sale. And uh, it helps support the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. And that, again, will be the weekend of October 7th and October the 8th. So it looks like October 7th is going to be the second busiest plant sale day in our yearly calendar. It used to be in springtime. The big day was the last weekend in April. But because of whatever reason, now it's like the first or second weekend in April is when all the big plant sales are. But uh, fall is true to its name, and, and it looks like October 7th. A lot of good plant sales going on that weekend um, in our area. All right. Well, speaking of garden events, what is going on uh, today? The California Native Plant Society is having a sale going on until 3 o'clock at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard. That's going on today. Yolo County Master Gardeners from 2 to 4 o'clock today have a little open house going on at Norton Hall in Woodland at 70 Cottonwood Street, where you can find out more about how to become a Master Gardener volunteer or a Master Food Preserver volunteer and their training programs. I believe it's only open to Yolo County residents. I'm not sure of that there. You have to go there and find out. And they'll have an Ask a Garden question table so you can get your uh, questions answered. And also the new office drought-tolerant landscape will be showcased. So that's uh, going on today, 2 to 4 o'clock. The Master Gardener and Master Food Preserver Yolo County Open House at 70 Cottonwood Street in Woodland. Coming up Thursday, the Shepherd Garden and Art Center is hosting the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club meeting. Ellen Zagary from the UC Davis Arboretum will identify butterflies commonly encountered in valley gardens, along with the plants they love, ornamental and weedy plants that can lead to a successful butterfly garden. So if you want more butterflies in your garden, you got to know which plants to put in, and Ellen can set you straight on that at the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club meeting Thursday, 7 p.m., at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard. And that's, uh, of course, uh, in McKinley Park. It's free. 
Coming up Saturday, September 30th, uh, the Old City Cemetery and the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club will have their What's Blooming tour of the Hamilton Square Garden in the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway. That's free. That's at 10 a.m. next Saturday. Up in Amador County, the Master Gardeners there on Thursday from 9 to noon have a class on understanding and improving your garden soil. It's free. It's open to the public. 9 to noon on Thursday at the GSA building at 12200 B Street or B Airport Road in 12200 Airport Road in Jackson. Thank you. Not too far from Martell. All right. Uh, what else is going on? Coming up Tuesday in uh, Yolo County, uh, Master Gardeners there have a class on how to grow flowers from bulbs, 1030 to 1230 at the West Sacramento Community Center, 1075 West Capitol Avenue. And that, too, is free. Let's see. Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a free basic composting workshop. It'll be held next Saturday, 2 to 3 o'clock at the South Natomas Library at 21, 2901 Truxel Road in Sacramento. It's free, so you can learn uh, how to get your compost pile started. Uh, let's see what else is going on. A uh, couple of things. The Yolo County Master Gardeners are busy. Next Saturday, they have a class on when what to plant this fall, and that'll be held at the Central Park Gardens at 3rd and B Street in Davis, Saturday, 9.30 to 11 a.m. Then... Uh, also, in conjunction with that, from 9 to 10 a.m., how to extend color in the California Native Garden. That'll be held at Woodland Community College in Building 400 at 2300 East Gibson Road in Woodland. All right, so we got that. We got that. Sacramento County Master Gardener training applications are available online. You can find out more information when you visit the Sacramento County Master Gardener Facebook page or their homepage. Just Google Sacramento County Master Gardeners and it'll take you straight to that page where you can find more information about applications for their training program, which will begin in January. Applications being accepted now through October 17th, open to Sacramento County residents. And don't forget all the gardening guide and calendars that are available as well. Sacramento County Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar can be found at that same site at the Sacramento County Master Gardener site, as well as if you visit the uh, Placer County Master Gardeners, you can uh, pick up their 2018 calendar and gardening guide. They will also be at the Auburn Home Show next weekend, September 29th through October 1st. Calendars are $10 each, also available at many nurseries throughout the area in Placer and Nevada counties. So there's all that going on. Anything else? Are we done plugging everybody all right good time for me to get on out of here making room for the news and uh, next week on the program in fact we're looking at a pretty jam-packed uh, october coming up here on get growing on talk 650 kste next weekend we're talking trees with jeff gravish from bothing treeland farms he's a certified arborist knows a lot about trees he'll set us straight as far as what to plant what not to plant also fall care for trees as well and coming up on October 8th, we're talking houseplants with Lauren McCrary from Green Acres Nursery in Elk Grove. On October 15th, we're talking roses. Baldo Viegas and Charlotte Owendike will be here from the Sierra Foothills Rose Society. Uh, no doubt to shamelessly plug their uh, rose show and sale the following weekend, October 22nd or 21st. Uh, but anyway, uh, Baldo and Charlotte will be here on October 15th. 
And Debbie Flower makes a return to the program on October the 29th. Thank you for listening to this show all these years. Without you, there would be no Get Growing. I appreciate your support. Have yourself the rest of a great weekend, folks. Bye-bye.